and welcome to this episode of Saved by the Belial, an atrocious Ultraman podcast, the show where we only have three minutes to talk about an episode of Ultraman. My name's David. And I am Chris. Oh, wait, I didn't compliment you. Oh, that's okay. I mean, you know I complimented you. Like, you know, in my heart, I complimented <laughs> In your heart, yeah. Yes. So, is this the part where I ask how you're doing? It might be. Okay, because... I, I would listen to some of our old episodes from Kaiju Apostle, and even though I've been like, I don't understand why people do that with the podcast, we did it a lot. So We I'm, certainly did, yeah. I, I, I'm a hypocrite, and you can't see me right now, but I'm totally in sack, sackcloth and ashes for It's for actually kind of weird. These are the same ashes from Ash Wednesday. Oh, man. Just been holding on to them. Yeah. Bottled them up. Just like our emotions. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are off to a wonderful start here, and we are discussing the 1966 TV show Ultraman. Man, man, man. We don't have the budget for actual, like, echoes. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read a introduction, kind of a summary about this show. And then we're just going to jump right into these episode discussions because at this point, we don't have any listener feedback or reviews to share. So I'm going to grab this beautiful box by Mill Creek and I'm going to read the back of it because. Wait, David, who's Mill Creek? Oh, Mill Creek. Yeah. So they are the company that has partnered with Subaraya productions to release the Ultraman TV series of varying capacities in the United States and I would assume other regions. I actually don't know who all can buy these or view them, but I'm assuming a lot of people can. So, and they are also uh, technically movie spree, but they're related. We've partnered with them to give out download codes to various shows that we're watching. Uh, As of right now, we don't have any codes for this series yet, but We're hoping to have that rectified by the next one. But this is the episode where we announce the winners for The Birth of Ultraman, which is a seven-episode. It's like the seven most iconic episodes of this series, both dubbed and subbed, and a stage show. So make sure to listen if you entered so that you know that you win. And... Make sure you just listen anyway, because you've already started. So what else? You've already you've already started investing. Yeah. Trust me, there's no going back from this. Oh, honestly. All right. <clears throat> from the land of light, for justice sake, here he comes. Our Ultraman. Oh, God, that hurt my throat. Okay. <laughs> so Ultraman, a giant alien from the land of light and Nebula M78, enters Earth's atmosphere in pursuit of an escaped space monster. In the skies above Japan, he accidentally crashes into a jet VTOL piloted by Hayata. I love how they just like assume that you know what a jet VTOL is here. Yeah, Um, A member of the Science Special Search Party, the SSSP, an international research and defense agency that protects the world from monsters and aliens of all shapes and sizes. To save Hayata, Ultraman merges his life force with the dying human and vows to stay and fight for peace on Earth. Now, whenever the patrol faces a threat too great for them to handle, Hayata transforms into Ultraman to save the day. So Ultraman was Subarai Productions' first color series, a sci-fi action-adventure drama that dominated the ratings during its initial 1966 to 1967 broadcast run in Japan. The show was quickly licensed for release in America, 
airing in syndication for nearly two decades. Colorful, fast-paced, and packed with memorable heroes, creatures, and incredible special effects, Ultraman was the foundation for a phenomena that continues to this day and is now available in high definition. I'd say that's a pretty good, pretty good summary. <laughs> Learned all about it. Yeah, I know. I, I don't even know why we're doing the podcast at this point. You know everything you need to know. <laughs> you just read, you read the back. That's all you got to do. Oh, yeah. Business in the front, party in the back. Amen. Ultra mullet. No, I will say I did see like the greatest mullet the other day. Like I was absolutely jealous. I was like, I would not have the the stones to do that myself. It's but hard. It just, if, it when you glorious. see a good one, you know, like you you want deep down to be that kind of person. There, there, so much cultivating that went into that just luscious shape. Oh, amen. Oh, yeah, it was glorious. Okay, so. <laughs> As you're probably aware, because hopefully you listened to the introductory episode, we only have three minutes to discuss each episode of the show. And when the timer starts beeping, that means we need to stop or at least get close. Um, There will be a nice little surprise at the end to let us know that is time to move on to the next episode. (laughs) So uh, we're just going to read the description that Mill Creek has provided for each episode just so if you're not maybe you've watched the episode but it's been a year or two just kind of you know make sure we're all on the same page here so yeah Chris if you want to go ahead and start with episode number one yes does this start the countdown no so as soon as you say the last word I will hit the button all right all right so episode one ultra operation number one Strange illuminated spheres streak over Lake Ryugamori, a red orb chasing a blue orb, both being tracked by ancient Hayata of the Science Special Search Party, also known as Science Patrol. Trying to keep up with their tremendous speed, the red sphere collides with Hayata's aircraft in midair. Hayata is resurrected by a towering silver and red humanoid from the Land of Light in the nebula M78 who merges with the Earthman and bestows upon him the Beta Capsule, a device that will allow him to transform his shape at will. Thought dead, Hayata rejoins his teammates as they plan to deal with a monster, Femular, that has emerged from the second sphere. All right, there's the boop. Okay, so can you imagine being in 1966 watching this on TV for the first time? Uh, Like, if you've seen Ultra Q, maybe. But even then, there's not a lot. No, but I mean, Ultra Q is black and white, though. Like, this is just color. Like, everything's just popping, right? I just, I don't know. I, I keep thinking about, like, it's really easy to get critical of some of these older shows. You're just like, oh, special effects here and there. But not only is it revolutionary then, it's still a big deal now. I mean, mm-hmm. E.G. Subaraya was definitely, like, absolutely groundbreaking in everything he did, whether it's the Godzilla films, even some of his other films that he'd work on. There's some war films that he did, too. But yeah, just this, this such a good way to start the series. So I guess for you, what was kind of like your your impression coming in and watching your first actual Ultraman show or, you know, episode? Yeah, so coming in only having seen Z, it did crack me up that I'm assuming they all might start the same way that both Ultraman and the human are about to die. So then it's like fusion time. We save each other's life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I probably made a mistake of reading The Rise of Ultraman before watching this. Yeah. But, um, so it was kind of nice to have an idea who some of the character names were, at least. But, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, it was definitely like I was I what I liked from Z was the ultra fast paced and this was not um wasn't much slower. It was a little slower, but still. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to start, especially for new fans. Like this really helps set the tone for everything else that's gonna come by. Um I will say what bothered me is I watched this and I was like, wait, have they had these flashing tie tacks the entire series? And I just never knew that because I've seen this show before. Um, I haven't seen them flash again, but I was like, yeah, they totally have the tie tacks. I just don't pay attention, apparently. Well, now you have to because we were going to talk about it all. Every part. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, the tie tacks, though, like if I was still Mormon and I had to go to church and wear ties, I would totally have just like that circular tie tack. Oh, and, amen. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone would be jealous. Like I would have seven wives. Right. It would just be, oh be great. Um, did did you because you're you're the theological guy, right? Did you pick up anything about the name Bimular or at least like how they described him? Yeah, I noticed um, it, it's almost going to be one of the episodes eight or nine when they kind of compare him to the devil and talk about chaos. Um, yeah, I noticed there's definitely a few more like easier theological jumps to make here. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of more. Like, honestly, right now, it's a little more focused on watching the show and trying to remember everyone. Yeah. So, wait, what do you, what were you thinking? Uh, nope. I mean, it's, uh, so, Beemler, Demi, like, the demon, Hayata seemingly dies. Akiko hears Hayata's voice with her skepticism. Even Ide says she's hearing a ghost. Huh? I wonder what this sounds like. <laughs> All right. Wow. Off to a good start okay. here. <laughs> Next episode. Next episode. Here we go. All right. Episode number two, Shoot the Invader. A UFO is caught by radar over Tokyo. Captain Muramatsu sends Arashi to investigate. He reports that alien creatures have frozen all those within. While Muramatsu holds off the military until a dialogue can be established with the aliens and Hayata arrives, a nervous Ide clumsily attempts first contact. Speaking through Arashi, a Balton relates mad scientists destroyed their planet. Hayata offers them a chance to settle on Earth, although the Baltans all 2.3 billion of them have already decided on conquest. Only Ultraman stands in their way, repelling them with Spatium. He decloaks their ship and destroys it, dooming the Baltans, but saving humanity. <laughs> so this is the inevitable Ultraman commits genocide and everybody celebrates episode. Oh gosh, I know. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I told myself I wasn't going to say that, but I'm like, it's that's But you kind of have to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Um, because because it's such a far cry from in Z when they all kind of spend a few episodes really kind of talking about the cost of killing what seemed to be just animals. Yeah. So this one seems, especially because like this one was kind of weird in the sense that it was like it seemed like a story about colonization, but um, not in the same way that like Thor Ragnarok or some of our other stories are. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, for a moment, you almost have some sympathy for the Baltans, yeah. and then they're just like, nope, we're just going to come in, we're going to take over. It's like, eh, did we really have to go this route? Like, could we not have talked? Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting, because even later in this series, you will get more into like, oh, what are we doing? But this definitely did feel like, a, oh, okay, well, I guess we're just going <laughs> to kill them all. We're just okay. going to kill them all. Yeah. Well, what was the Godzilla movie with a similar idea? Was it uh, the Planet X one? 
destroy well either be destroy all monsters or invasion of astro monster yeah, yeah probably yeah. destroy all monsters because they came down remember they wanted to live under the volcano and they're like no we're that's not right that's that. right yeah i just i find it so interesting how many stories around this time have focused on like aliens coming to settle on earth mm-hmm. and the people's reaction to them yeah so i i no oh, go ahead oh i just had a laugh at the name spacium that's yeah. something that you get all the way up to Ultraman Z. It's kind of funny. Can't be names like that. So I love the fact that Ide breaks the fourth wall in this episode. Like you don't mm. really see that in the rest of the series, but it's just a nice little, I don't know. You can tell it's really wanting to connect with the kids. Um, sure. Especially in an episode that has like some very dark horror vibes going on. In oh it. my it's gosh. Kind of, yeah. I, I, and I love that. But you know, then you have your comical moments where he's like, he ho, he ho, 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 ah! <laughs> you know, just things like that, or like <laughs> when Hoshino is like the loud lady from HQ. You yeah, know? like I love Hoshino, by the way. He's I love these kid characters in these shows. There were some tonal shifts, and not in a bad way. Tonal shift sounds negative, but it wasn't. No, no. If it's done right, it's it's great, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's got to be well done, and this one definitely has a good like serious tone. Um, but without being too bleak, right? It, you yes. know, it, it yep. makes you have the, you, you get invested, and you realize like, oh, maybe there are some actual stakes going on here. But ultimately, <laughs> you just you have fun with it, and that's what I want from Ultraman, right? I want to think, I, but yeah. Even with a dark, deep episode like this, it can still be fun. Yeah. Let's get a step to three. Science Patrol move out. Fuji and Hoshino investigate strange sounds and movement coming from the well of Odawara Castle. According to folklore, 500 years ago, a famous samurai drove a rampaging monster, Naranga, underground and it remains alive. With hydroelectric power plants, the monster is slowly fed off this energy, growing to enormous proportions, and can make itself invisible. The SSSP manages to establish a pattern of the creature's attacks and sorties to the location to find a way to stop its next assault. Sorties. I love that word. Yeah, I had to read that. I, I read that. And I was like, is that the word I'm looking for? Anyway, <laughs> um, I promise I'm not going to do this during the whole show. But I was like, hey, I know this one. This guy was in Z. Yeah. He was also in the Shin Ultraman trailer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, we can't. We don't have time to get into that. No, we don't. So... What is with Hoshino's parents? Like, he's just literally being running around with the SSSP. Like, it's oh. not a big deal. I mean, I love it. Summer internship. He's too young for an internship. <laughs> Come on, man. It's an unpaid uh, summer internship. Yeah. So this is really, I think, the first episode to really showcase the miniature work that Ultraman's oh, going to be known yeah. for. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like, not only the practical effects with the hills crumbling, all the explosions, but like, this is easily one of the standout episodes of the 10 that we're talking today. Yeah. And honestly, um, I will bring Shin back in a little bit. It does remind you like how well they've consistently done the miniatures work that mm-hmm. they can just play around with this so much that I kind of would prefer more suits and miniatures based yep. on how well they do it all the way back I then. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it was a little tough. I mean, with Shin, it's it would be nice to see that, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. And I do love the um, I do love the way that this one plays with the lore of monsters growing. Yes, um, 
like the fact that the first one, the first time a samurai drives him out, but this time he's getting huge because he's just feeding on power plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't think everything needs to be explained, but I kind of love it when they can do fun, like, like within the logic of the show. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, you're, you're finding that with this series, there's like small, tiny little lore bits that like, really don't go any further than what they're talking about, but you're realizing you're watching a show that's established in a world where monsters exist, right? You're not having to suspend your disbelief that like, oh, wait, a monster is just appearing. It's like, well, yes, a monster is appearing. Like they almost seem a little like what's happening, but it's not like, oh, well, monsters don't exist. They know that Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, these, these myths and these legends that they have, there's actual like reality in that. And that's cool. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's fun. The, uh, the composite shots in this episode are a bit rough, though. So the parts were like what we would say, like green screen now, like you have the background and then they're mm-hmm. put in front of it. Some of those were a little, eh, and then the Ultra Man suit face in this one, I think by this point, been beat up a bit. He was absolutely haggard. He was getting a little rough for the wear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in this series, you're going to th- see there's three different suits that they, they go through. Um, but... Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I will say when I watched this with Jasper the first time, I was not expecting Naranga to blow up like that at the end. And I just <laughs> sit there and I look over and I'm like, uh. Yeah, that might be an award later. <laughs> All right, episode four. Let's see. Five seconds before the explosion, an accidental explosion causes a rocket to crash into the Pacific with six atomic bombs. One of the missing bombs explodes, causing a massive and destruction tidal wave. On leave at a seaside resort, SSSP agents Fuji and Hoshino... Oh, so I guess he is technically an agent. Huh. Okay, (laughs) spot the amphibious humanoid Ragon, mutated into a colossus by the atomic explosion. Hayata rushes to the scene by road while Arashi takes to the sky. Forced into action, Ultraman defeats Ragon with his spacium beam, removing the monster threat without triggering the bomb. He retrieves the ordinance and saves the day, though humanity is chilled at how close it came to nuclear destruction. What a what an off like this whole episode description is the episode. I know. I know. <laughs> and it's just so like it's so like um flippant towards the fact that it was like six atomic bombs. Oh jeez, yeah. Yeah. I mean I can't help but not bring in some of the Godzilla talk here but i just love the fact that we have a scene in this episode where a set of women are like hey we don't want to watch over a kid so it's like please watch my daughter while we go get absolutely wasted okay bye (laughs) (laughs) that was great hey sometimes these have to be true to life and that is true to life sometimes yeah, I have two kids, and I won't say we get wasted, but there are definitely times where it's like, hey, Grandma, can you watch the kids so we can just, like, get out, please? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, oh, honestly. I love the fact, again, we just talked about this, but, like, Ragon is already established in this universe, so they know what he is, right? They know mm-hmm. that, like, hey, music is supposed to calm him down because, spoilers, we see that in Ultra Q. You know, so like it's nice that like those little bits are coming back where mm-hmm. they actually care about what's done before, right? Yeah, because when I watched, uh, well, I only watched a few episodes of Ultra Q, mm-hmm. but um, it, it was kind of nice. Sometimes they were left as complete mysteries. Sometimes yeah. the newspaper reports everything about the story, mm-hmm. and I had no idea how they were going to tie in like this. But I thought this was really nice. Like, yeah, 
even if you didn't watch Ultra Q, you don't have to. Like they just the way that they just kind of know. It also it builds this world where they know what some of these are. And I love mm-hmm. how it's not always a shock. It's not like what's this grotesque being? It's like, exactly. oh, that's Aragon. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently small knives are effective against 30 meter tall monsters. Hey, I wouldn't want to be pricked no matter how tall I am and how small the prick is. Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about the knife or the kid? Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, I will say the ending is amazing. They just throw the rag on. Like, it's just like a huge doll or, you know, just oh, like gosh, they throw yeah. him off the cliff. And it's just, it's not even rag doll physics because his arms aren't moving. He's just like <laughs> it's just, stiff. He's just so planking his way down. It's so good. I'm so oh. glad that they do this throughout like all these shows in the in the 60s and 70s. It's one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I do just have to laugh at the suit itself, though. Um, the creature from the Black Lagoon suit they've got there. Pretty much. Yeah, Ragon's such an awesome design. Though. I love, I love any episode that he is featured in, and just the fact that, like, apparently being exposed to mass amounts of radiation ruins your ability to enjoy music. Well, it ruins your ability to do a lot of things. Yeah, that that's probably true. <laughs> that was a good way to end. Yeah. All right, episode number five. This one's got a lot of big old words. Uh, so this one is the secret of the Miraganda. The presence of a strange green mucus at murder scenes comes to the attention is of the mucus SS. Is a big word for you? Oh, dude, it's got two <laughs> syllables, dude. Um, I did have to look at, I did look at that word for a minute and I was like, is that what comes out of my nose? Anyway. The, mu- the mucacus. Uh, mucacus. Oh gosh. This is a family podcast. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the presence of a strange green mucus at murder scenes comes to the attention of the SSSP as part of a recent string of suspicious deaths in Tokyo. All the victims were members of an expedition to a new atoll in the South Pacific. The sole survivor recounts the discovery of a huge, beautiful flower before being attacked by an insectivorous plant. It soon discovered that the attacks came after members of the expedition drank from an island spring that nourished a living flower, Miraganda. The plant monster, Green Mons, meant to protect its growth when it seemed like the intruders were drinking from Miraganda's water supply. Okay, yeah, and insectivorous is a big word. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is mucus, though. I know. Um, yeah, I did I did appreciate this one, was just um we it's not always about um like what's the one, the the red one, the red dragon from Z when he first realizes that it's just protecting its eggs. Sometimes um, they're just Red protecting... King? What? Red King? Yeah, Red King. Um, <laughs> when the plant... It's just... It's it's misunderstanding sometimes, and I love it, yeah. because on a show that's already covered genocide, misunderstanding seemed like a pretty good one at the next stage. I know. Yeah. And that's, that's what's crazy, right? I mean, we wouldn't have been in this situation if that doctor wouldn't have like, exposed this flower to that radiation. You know, so it's mm. it's unfortunate. And it's, I think it is a good, like, you can see the consequences of, like, I was listening to Giant Monster Messages earlier, their episode of Terra Mecha Godzilla. And, like, there's a difference between being a good scientist, like, not a difference, but, like, you can be a good scientist but make bad moral decisions with yes. that. And this is something that he shouldn't have done, right? Right. Um, 
I will say I laughed when they're like, here are the skid marks. I'm thinking about like talking <laughs> to my, my wife about potty training with our son. I'm like, here are the skid marks. <laughs> yeah. It goes uh, all the way up the back. Yeah. Oh God. That's yeah. I don't want to think about that right now. Um, <laughs> but I will say this monster. Did you ever watch Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Uh, no. Can't say uh, that I did. Yeah. So uh, Meatwad, I remember there's a line. He's like, when I get pissed, you get missed. And I'm just like, this is, if you have to sum up the show, that's what this is. This big mister just. Uh, did you recognize the last crew member, the, the woman? Do you recognize her? I did, but you know me. Yeah. So it was uh, the lady that played uh, Princess Salno in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. The prophet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I figured there's going to be some overlap pretty soon here. Oh, yeah. Well, that one's pretty cool. I did. I do just like sometimes too that these are a couple of different types of monster or a couple of different types of kaiju so far. Mm-hmm. Like radiation. This one fed off electrical plants. This one's just a big old plant. Yeah, yeah. The end is wonderful because you're like, "Where's Hayata?" Like, I love when they lean into that. Yeah. Like, wait, he's just conveniently gone. But no one can quite put it together. It's just no. like when. Um, yeah, it's like, well, the giant robot's down. Ultraman Z is down. Huh, I wonder where anyone else is. Yeah, exactly. On? But it's so funny because, like, this is totally different from when Peter turns into Spider-Man because he's alone. Mm-hmm. This is like, there's four of us. Where's the fourth member? Yeah. Just we conveniently ignore him and we just keep doing what <laughs> yeah. we're doing. Right? Yeah. All right. Episode number six, the Coast Guard Command. While visiting Yamashita Park at the port of Yokohama, Hoshino's friend Chiro spots a monster out on the bay with binoculars. Neither Hoshino nor Nobuko see Chiro's beast, but Hoshino spies Saburo Nakajima, the notorious smuggler known as Diamond Kick. (laughs) Arashi doesn't believe either of them, but speaking to a veteran crewman from the Columbia Maru, the creature seems to be a legend known as Gesera. It is an amphibious lizard native to Brazil that eats insects and cocoa beans. Yeah, cocoa beans. And, but has now grown to tremendous proportions feeding on the industrial waste in Tokyo Bay. We're, we're screwing things up, Chris. All these monsters exist because of us. Oh, I know. Well, I couldn't help but think of the SpongeBob one where it's like, they're selling what? Chocolates. <laughs> You'll live forever. <laughs> You'll live forever. Um, I love you. This one, this one gave me strong vibes of one of the strangest episodes of Ultra Q. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one where the little dude's turtle flies him to yes. the, the sea princess's land. And yeah, she's like swinging in the middle of the sky. And also there are criminals involved. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. I love that Ultraman's just like yeah they're kaiju and criminals right Name, named Diamond Kick. Diamond Kick yeah <laughs> and I can't decide sometimes which one I want to hear from more I know like I will say if I ever get something tattooed on my back you better believe it's gonna be Diamond Kick with the hyphen oh gosh the hyphen that's missing from the Coast Guard Command yep but uh so. I made a comment here that the uh, 20 meter shark is found dead, which is bigger than any recorded whale shark. And Arashi <laughs> assumes that it was killed by a boat. 
By a boat. I know. I was sitting. I was like, that's 40 feet long. Yeah, probably a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, because I think that's... the longest whale shark record is like 18.8 meters or something like that. OK, Um, yeah, I did look that up and I was like, man, that's it's bigger than a megalodon, you know, yeah. so I don't know. That's a boat. Yeah. But, you know, so we talked about it last time, like these past few episodes have really introduced the dynamic of monsters that aren't necessarily evil or malicious, like Bemular or Alien Bolton. Mm -hmm. Like my boy just wanted his dang cocoa beans. He just wanted his cocoa beans. Yeah. Like he was cuckoo for cocoa beans. The smuggler is the villain in this one, which is a really nice touch. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's I love Geyser, though. He's such because I think he was in Z2, right? I'm kind oh, of right. yeah, I, yeah. It was one of the last episodes with uh, God, what was the thing that they made with? Remember they, the thing that they made, the beam, the yeah, 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 like the Ultroid Zero or whatever. I feel oh, like he's yeah, one yeah. of the monsters in that. I'm totally drawing a blank. Um, it's almost That's eleven okay. o'clock. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's it's just funny though, because like you know, Fuji's the only one that's like really sad about Hayata dying. And then, like, mm-hmm. he shows up, despite being in the warehouse that was destroyed, and he has the villain. And no one's like, how did that happen? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, um, gosh, I just love the, this one's just like, oh, I eat chocolate. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, the human elements really come out a lot better here, like you're just yes. saying. Yes, a very, very good episode. After teams from, oh, sorry, the Blue Stone of Barati is episode seven. After teams from the Middle East and Indian branches of the SSSP disappear while searching for a meteorite in Turkey, the Japan branch is dispatched with a representative from Paris HQ. Soon after finding the meteorite, Ide sees a giant monster rise out of the ground, and they stumble upon the pit of a giant insect creature littered with plane wreckage. Escaping its clutches, the team discovers the lost town of Barati, where, where a statue holding a blue stone that has kept the monster Antlar at bay for 5,000 years. When Antlar attacks Barati, Ultraman's spacium beam fails and it overwhelms him. Dun, dun, dun. This episode is going to piss off both progressive and fundamentalist Christians because oh they're goodness. saying 5,000 years back to Noah, but like even like. Young Earth creationists would say it's more than that. Which, yeah, I I do love this part, but that's okay. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to be pedantic about it. Yeah, well, if if we weren't pedantic, we wouldn't be us. No, not at all. Not at all. I did love this one. This one is like such a weird, like, I love those ones that's like, some shows are so singularly focused on one thing. So it's like Ultraman is the only weird thing going on here. But in this world, there's Blue stones and legends of gods, and the stone may or may not be connected to Ultraman. I thought it was really cool that there's other things going on than just the Ultras. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that in the beginning, Jim seems to actually be speaking his lines, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now he starts speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, and it's like, okay, yeah, no, it's totally being dubbed over. He His, that, his mouth was not moving. No, there's... um. In Sentai Mega Ranger, there's some characters who speak in English that's clearly dubbed over English. Yeah. And it cracks me up. But um, I did like the multi. I liked how this one's like a bigger worldwide thing. The SSSP oh, sure. is worldwide. 
Yeah. Yeah, the Paris HQ and all that. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I Part of me wants to be like, what else is happening in the world, though? Like, we get this little bit, but, like, I want to see what's happening in the United States and South well, America. Well, that's the thing. We this The world of Ultraman makes me think there could be. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. reason to think it's all just happening in Tokyo. And as the series, the franchise progresses, we learn that's the case. But mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed, so, like, the line, at last, the fated day of Barati's destruction has arrived. Like, have you ever noticed that these events always happen when you have guests over? Oh, my God. Why can't it ever just happen when I'm having a quiet Sunday at home? Like, anytime a guest would come over, I'd be like, well, frick, that prophecy's probably coming true tomorrow, then, isn't it? Exactly. It's like, I know I invited you guys over for tea, but we've got a slight inconvenience here. <laughs> it's the end of the world. Oh, my God. You're wearing the faded stone of whatever. Oh, yeah. Dang it. I also was laughing when I noticed E-Day when he's like, only 30 seconds left. I was like, you were sick. Are you just counting down the seconds until Ultraman dies? Like, how do you know? <laughs> he's got to stopwatch every episode. Uh, going like, hmm. Yeah. We've only got 30 seconds left. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. I was just hey, thought that was kind of going to make your own entertainment when a giant creature's got the fate of your planet in its hands, you know? Yeah. Also, why is Ultraman being toward like pulled towards Antlar? I thought it was magnetic. <laughs> Chris has left the podcast. <laughs> Checkmate atheists. All right. <laughs> First of all, like when do Christians and atheists even play chess together? Or wait, checkers. Is it wait, is it chess or checkers? Yeah, it's chess, checkmate. Chess, yeah. That's so confusing. Like, why isn't it chessmate? Why is it just me? Uh, well, who's the queen? It's Queen Mary versus Queen Elizabeth. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Queen B. All right. Episode eight, the monster anarchy zone. After massive volcanic activity, a survey team is sent back to their facilities on Tatara Island. When all contact is lost, an SSSP team is sent to investigate. They discover Tatara overrun with violent monsters, none more so than the horrifying Red King. Going to disagree with that. Thrown from a cliff during the melee, Hayata is left behind as Muramatsu goes for help. Meanwhile, Arashi, Ide, and Fuji encounter a kind creature, Pigmon, which has left traces of the missing men for them to find, leading them to the sole survivor. Red King finally manages to find them, however, forcing Pigmon to distract the monster with his dying breath. Allowing Ultraman to arrive. My boy. Well, probably everybody's boy. Pigmon oh, yeah. is here. Yeah, if you hate Pigmon, you can just get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a one star and go. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love because Pigmon, my first was my first interaction with Pigmon was the backup story in the Rise of Ultraman. Oh, really? So, oh. Yeah. So seeing seeing Pigmon in this context was like, wow, this is completely different yeah oh the but Kaiju i do love steps. the way that this yeah. phrase is left traces of the missing men like a hand here <laughs> an arm here Ooh, an eyeball. <laughs> pigmon's like pulling someone apart to leave them the bread trail of breadcrumbs <laughs> yeah i mean the the whole niceness is just a facade yeah um, oh man but yeah the red king now yeah so What's so funny, Red King has this reputation, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, he rips off Chandler's wing, you know, but, like, Ultraman beats him without even, like, getting to his beeping stage. 
maybe it's it was so quick. I know. Maybe it's because he was already hurt, but I'm like, uh, not really. Mm, mm, mm. That is that is kind of an interesting way to think about it. He's, I guess, he probably has such this like fascination. Well, and I love the design. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, the uh, Michelin Man kaiju. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Stay Puffed kaiju. Uh, and there's a there's an upcoming toy with the Red King, so I I kind of see why that he's got this big reputation. So it's kind of yeah. funny that Episode Eight has so many iconic monsters. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I love about this. Like, we've had so many character-driven episodes, so it's a nice change of pace to just have this action. I mean, it's a little bit more serious and bleak, but, like, I don't... This is where I'm, like, I like my my giant monster action. Like, it doesn't always have to be character-driven, as long as you mix it up a bit, right? Well, it's a TV show, so it's much easier to uh, switch it up a bit. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I really appreciate. Like when we did the Godzilla and it was a action driven one, I was like, oh no. And it was even sometimes when it was human driven, I was like, oh no. But <laughs> with only twenty two minutes, you've got plenty of time to you can go back and forth every time. I don't I don't think I'd care. No. Don't you think it's weird though that Magular was killed by two grenades? Like he looked so vicious and it's just like pew, pew. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. It does crack me up. Um, yeah. I do love the I just the name the Monster Anarchy Zone mm-hmm. uh, when they have a king. Seems inaccurate. You know, he he he's the false king, right? So it is anarchy. Hey, that's also, David's theological insight. Yeah. Also, did you notice they call him Pigmon without being told what his name is? Yeah. <laughs> did he introduce himself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Episode nine of the Lightning Operation. In the aftermath of Typhoon number 13, near the town of Unari, a giant monster rises from the... reminds me of like that combo number whatever song. Or mambo number. Why is it combo? I'll take a Gaborah number 13 medium prize. Um, uh, Having gorged itself on their uranium mines, this Gaborah makes its way for the nuclear power plant in Nabe. Hayata baits the beast with a sample of uranium-235 tethered to a helicopter. In the process, he not only discovers that Fuji and Hoshino have stowed away, but that others are also in harm's way. When the monster swipes the helicopter out of the air, it is suddenly face-to-face with Ultraman. The battle is swift and decisive with Ultraman saving the day again. Oh, that is that is very true. I When I read these like earlier today, I didn't realize like what reading these out loud would sound like. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this twice in a row, like two episodes in a row, Ultraman just like absolutely wipes the floor. With just wipes monsters. the floor. I think it's like, okay, this suit is in real dire straits. We need to make sure we don't do anything. <laughs> we don't do anything to this one. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I was thinking, I was like, by this point, if I was Hayata, like I would have like, remember when Jinko pants were a thing and you'd wear the chain like i would totally mm. have the beta capsule on that chain yeah right? honestly like have it a little more accessible yeah but uh well just he's not he keeps losing it you know it's I, like wait 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 where did it go dude this is like the most important thing in your life and you're just letting it roll out of your your yeah it's just yeah yeah i know it's all for like the sake of the episode but still cracks me up 
<laughs> but um, this uh, one too, they kind of just know what the kaiju is without being told, don't they? Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an established monster, which is interesting. Yeah. I so did you recognize the the roar for Gabora? Probably. I know when I ask you that, I'm always like, okay. So it's the King Kong roar from the Toho films. So I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, I wonder if they would keep that for Shin Ultraman, because Gabora's going to be in there. I feel like they won't, but it'd be hilarious if they did. That would be awesome if they did. Yeah. Gosh, imagine sitting at the theater and just, like, pointing at the, oh, that's the the King Kong one. But, um, yeah, the roar didn't seem to fit the monster here. Not this time, no. I was a little like, wait a second, is there someone else back there? <laughs> uh, I just, I love the fact that like, you know, the kids go and risk their lives, you know, to get the food. And then they come back and it's like, we sent you to get rice and you come back with candy. <laughs> it's a, At least it's like accurate. It's yeah. True to life. I know. I, I And I love how the kids almost like, they don't really figure out he's Ultraman. But obviously, they're like, wait, how did you survive that? Yeah. Out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and if this was a current TV show, they would have, like, played this off as him trying to, like, weasel his way out of revealing who he is. But kind of like that it's not really the point right now. No, no, not at all. It's And that's the thing is you kind of sit here and you're like, all right, how many times can you play that off? But it's it's so endearing that you're just like, whatever. You just you know, it works really... in spite of it. Yeah, honestly, though. All right. And the final episode, the mysterious dinosaur base. The SSSP investigates sightings of a monster in Lake Kitayama, where the fish population has recently exploded. Also, nearby is the mansion of Professor Nakayama, an expert on prehistoric creatures, who has secretly grown the beast now living at the bottom of the lake. It turns out that the doctor is really Professor Nakaido, a paleontologist who went missing at Loch Ness years earlier. Unmasked, he captures Kubo and Ide and threatens to feed them to his beloved Jiras. Jiras! Ide races to repair his communicator, and the pair are narrowly rescued after Nikaido is ironically trampled by his own creation. Ultraman soundly defeats Jiras through the use of the Ultra Slash. I do love this one. Like, the unintended consequences. You get killed by your own. Um, you get killed by your own creation. They're not, they're not easily controllable. We don't have... The we it's such hubris to think we can control all of it. Yeah. Well, that and I mean, how can you take anyone seriously with those horribly inaccurate wall paintings? That wow. is not a ceratosaurus. Goodness, you would just think someone would have gone to actual paleontology school. Yeah. Jeez. Um, man, what's that? Arche- what's the um, archaeological society we lost funding from last time? We should get them on the phone. <laughs> Did you notice that was uh, Ipe from Ultra Q? Yeah, that one I think I recognized a little bit yeah. better. Yeah, I love the the carryover because I mean the whole thing like we haven't even brought it up. You know, Fuji, the actress that plays that is the actress from Ultra Q as well. So it's been mm-hmm. nice to see that carryover. But yeah, um, 
Yeah, this whole episode is interesting. Like a lot of people is like, oh, it's it's the Godzilla suit. And like that's all they focus on. But there is some really good stuff here. Just the fact like what you're saying is, you know, it, it's someone that has the hubris of like, I I have the ability to do something great with science. And you let your own emotions of being scorned and being hurt bubble up and fester into something that hurts others, right? Like right. this is where it's like, if you want a text, like textbook case of why therapy is important, watch the mystery, mysterious dinosaur base. Men will literally grow a giant dinosaur under a lake instead of going to therapy. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Oh man. Oh, oh. But I also love that like stuff like the Loch Ness doesn't really like we don't get a lot, but like it takes our real world legends and says they're kaiju. Yeah. No, I love that too. It gives us a more of a sense of buying into it when we kind of like agree. Yeah, it's it's a way to reinterpret some of these things, right? Mm -hmm. I just love the fact that it's like, oh, Kubo and E Day went night fishing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Did you feel like the effects used for that short flashback were really jarring though? When it was all like had those weird squares and it was super bright on the screen. Did you notice that? Yeah, especially like um I've I wondered if that was my Blu-ray player, <laughs> a, aka no. my Xbox. But uh no, Ultra Q had weird. a few times where like the it would shift a little it'd look a little different too so mm-hmm. yeah that one I don't was just like intentional super or just yeah yeah I was, I was trying to figure out if that was intentionally just kind of an accident of the technology yeah yeah that uh i don't know it just it i was watching it late at night and i felt like my eyes were gonna burn like <laughs> okay well as we kind of said in an outtake this went better than expected until we see all the one-star reviews come through and be like, yeah, well, get these guys off of here. <laughs> no, 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 no. We won't have that. Not yet. No, give us at least two episodes before you review Bomb Us, please. Uh, can we negotiate for three? <laughs> we'll come back to the table. Let's, <laughs> let's dish out some awards and maybe get at least a two. All right. Uh, so, Chris, who earned your most beautiful kaiju award? Pigmon. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's actually probably the... Listen, See, I, I was thinking of the antagonistic ones. I didn't even think about Pigmon. I'm, I'm ashamed now. Well, see, here's the thing. There's a reason I was joined to Moist Minya. There's a reason I was joined to Pigmon. I, I am a very masculine, manly man, but I like my cute guys, too. Yeah. So... I just realized a lot of people are probably going to listen to this and then be like, did he just say moist menya and have no idea what we're talking about? And Please no like, one tell them. And they're just going to be like, why did I click on this? <laughs> um, yeah, Pigmon's a good choice for sure. I went with Gesera. I just, that design, I just, I, it's almost like that weird skeleton tail there as well. Mm, but mm-hmm. I've just, I love Gaysera. Every every Ultraman series I've seen him in, I just there's something about that design that stands out to me. I just I connect with it. Okay, he he's my spiritual kaiju. Oh no! <laughs> I wish you could see the look on my face right now, listeners. <laughs> I just it's that connection. I just I wish I could do more vocal fry like that. There we go, just like that. Okay, oh, are you turning Visco girl on me? No, remember on Parks and Rec, Tennifer? 
Oh my gosh. She's yes. the absolute wow. best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about your uh, monster graveyard award? Oh man. The explosion. When you're, th- what you were saying about like, you had to look at Jasper and be like, Oh, that just, um, I was the sitting there. It's like, yeah, they are. They get brutal in this show. Holy cow. Like, we don't want this suit anymore. Boom. Yeah. I was like, wait, doesn't that cost money? Don't you need that again? <laughs> I had to go with Ragon falling into the sea. It was yeah. just so good. I mean, the, the I he felt like a rag doll, Ragon doll. Man, that oh, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, should I have dropped that earlier? Chris, Chris, you're you're beautiful. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> how about your? Uh, how in the heck did he get away with that award? Uh this time the helicopter. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good one. What were you going to go with? Uh, so when he takes the old woman to the corner, and according to their understanding, is just hanging out with her while everyone else is risking <laughs> their life to defeat Antoine. <laughs> He's just chilling. <laughs> Honestly, though. He's like, ma'am, ma'am, I need to make sure your life alert's working. <laughs> He's yeah. just like, okay, well, they've got this covered clearly, so I'm good. You know, I've been working really hard and I'm a few hours behind on my Instagram feed. So if you guys could just keep going, <laughs> because ever since they updated, I just lose track all the time. It's just so hard to keep. Yeah. Keep up. I got my stories, guys. OK. <laughs> uh, what about the uh, aim for its butthole award? OK, this one's cheating. I know I'm sticking with it anyway. Um, I love when he like names Ultraman. He's essentially like, oh, what about Ultraman? And it turns out, yeah, that's actually all of their names. <laughs> They're all named Ultraman, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a great guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's really good. Uh, I went with, I love spaghetti and sandwiches. Okay, yeah. It was going to be that or the hee-ho, hee-ho. <laughs> Just the... <laughs> Maybe sometime we'll switch out the color timer with you doing that for 30 seconds. <laughs> All right. And uh, lastly, well, I guess you have another one after this. Uh, Mm -hmm, What was your favorite mm -hmm. episode and why? I really did kind of. Okay, so I'll say this. The Monster Anarchy Zone did surprise me. Mm -hmm. I thought I I talked about this with Sentai, with Godzilla. Uh, Sometimes the monster fights kind of bore me. But I was, I was pleasantly surprised how much I liked this one, actually. Cool. But um, the Blue Stone of Barati, I think, this time. I, I just like the fact that there's so many different kind of strands going on with it. Mm-hmm. There's so many different worlds kind of interacting there. I could see you choosing that. that that's kind of the route I thought you were going to go. So I love being predictable. Oh, man. You're predictably wonderful, Chris. Oh, thanks, James. Predictably <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> What about yours? What was your favorite? Shoot the Invader. I, I thought really hard about it. And I just, I love the sci-fi tone. It's just, it's so much fun. And Alien Bolton is just such an iconic antagonist in the Ultraman series. So it's just, it was really just felt like the only one I could choose, even though the one I had the most fun with would probably be Coast Guard Command. Like, okay. it's just such a fun episode. But I think overall, my favorite one was Shoot the Invader. That's really fair. 
or uh, sorry, the uh, commit genocide episode. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> it's even better. No, just kidding, please. I'm kidding. Um, so, Chris, your theological insight. What have you got for us? You know, I thought I would just start us off with a softball today. And Pigmont's sacrifice really brings to light Jesus' sacrifice for us. Mm. That mm-hmm. Jesus is the one who goes before us into death and into new creation. Just as Pigmont went ahead with his scraps of human bodies to the last survivor. Hallelujah. Eventually giving himself up against... He gives his life up to the Red King... And we all know Satan is red and the king of the power of the air, according to Ephesians 2. So Pokemon goes into death to let Ultraman take uh, take the victory. Just like Psalm 8 says that someday man will be ruling over creation. Chris. So good. <laughs> oh, man. I am so excited. Man, just, just wait till just, we actually uh, get like some real theology interactions in here. Oh yeah, we're Ooh. gonna get to the Book of Tobit, and I'm gonna ignore it because someone's gonna have something that mildly tangentially mixes up with a different Bible story. <laughs> All I know is, you know, I went to church yesterday. And I'm like, I don't feel like I need to go to church again for a month. But I just, ooh, Chris, <laughs> I yeah. just preached. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, what are we doing next episode? All right. So next time we are going to be discussing episodes 11 through 20. So starting with the rascal from outer space and ending with the terror on route 87. So as we close, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are enjoying what we're doing here, we ask that you would chant our name over at Apple podcasts and leave a five star review. Uh, That is really important right now, especially being a new show. Um, and you search for our name and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I don't want to listen about Saved by the Bell. Or do you? I don't know. You might. The show is, the reboot's really good, actually. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I never grew up with this show, so I never so, yeah. the reboot. Fair. So, but uh, also make sure that you do subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Finally, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can head over to our website, atrociouspod.com where you can find all of our social media accounts, along with a page for listener feedback and prayer requests. Until next time... Hey, hi, priest, voice menu. (laughs) (laughs) I had to make sure I started that after the music. Oh, I'm leaving it in. Science Patrol Headquarters, this is David. Hey, Captain, how are you? Oh, sir, yes, sir, yes. Uh, The names for the winners. Yeah, I drew those. Let me grab those for you really quick. So, on the Twitter side of things, we've got... Uh, what was it again? Um, um, uh, Lisa. Uh, Lisa is the winner. And then on the website entry, we have... Uh, let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Sorry, I just I should have been more prepared because I totally did this. Uh, Ethan. Ethan is going to be the winner. What's that? 
you want me to tell them? You're... Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. I will get right on that. Yeah, I'll do that later. <sighs> Ichiro-san, I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to get back to you. 